Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. If we were to, uh, to put this apple down and leave it, it would be spoiled and gone within a few days. But if we were to take a bite of it like this, it would become part of us. And we could take it with us forever. Everything is on its way to somewhere. Everything. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. In this corner, wearing white, from the city of the big shoulders, the number one contender, the 10th round exhibition for your entertainment. So when the bell sounds, prepare yourselves for the main event. Hi everyone, this is Ed Hoffman and welcome. Welcome to the main event. Yes, I opened up with that uh, clip from the movie Phenomenon from uh, a lot of years ago. You know, we're going to try and give you some stuff that you can put in your brains and it, that hopefully it can become a part of you and you can take it with you forever. But first, before we do that, let me introduce myself. My name's Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender located in the city of Moreno Valley. Also offices in Corona, Temecula, Downey, Westlake Village, and Orange to service all of Southern California for all of your real estate financing needs. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll-free. Area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get if you want to get some information but you don't want to talk on the phone because you're at work stealing time from your boss, wait till your break or your lunch break or your 15-minute coffee break or your cigarette break or one of your uh, government mandated uh when you uh, call in sick and you're not really sick and uh, go on to edhoffman.net Click on apply now and put in all the information that you want me to have so I can give you all whatever kind of information that you want to have. You'll hear back in any form of communication that you deem the best for you. You'll hear back from either me or one of my teammates, Matt Bradbury, Alex Rojas, Justin Clark, or Randy Sampius, and we'll get you dialed into whatever financing uh, whatever financing uh, puzzle that you've got yourself into will help you put the pieces back together. If you want to hear, if you hear something you want repeated, you can uh, you can go to also to edhoffman.net, click listen to the main event. You'll hear this show as well as four past shows, as well as you can get me on podcasts at iTunes. iTunes, search Ed Hoffman. You'll see the you'll see the podcast. You can you can uh, listen. You can uh, subscribe for free, and it will automatically download to your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod, um, or your iWatch or your computer, whatever you uh, use iTunes on. And uh, you can also get me on a podcast at am590theanswer.com as well. Um, if, you, uh, follow, if you want to follow me at Twitter, uh, I tweet uh, current events all week long. And you can hear my, my opinionated rants uh, all week. And, uh, and you can get me at Ed Hoffman. And you can get me on Facebook. Search the, the main event 590 for our show page. 
You can read my weekly columns at iebusinessdaily.com. Click the opinion tab and you'll see a full list of my weekly opinions on whatever I deem needs to know my opinion. Okay, so the fourth Republican presidential debate was Tuesday night on Fox Business Network. We have a lot to talk about this week. And uh, right now joining me is my is my good friend and uh, COO, Chief Operating Officer of the bootcampaign.org and uh, retired sergeant from the Marines, uh, Mr. Joey Jones. Joey, welcome back to the program. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, lots to discuss. Hey, well, you got, you know, I see you're, you're uh, I see on TV talking everything, everything military out there. You know what? And you know, the reason, the reason I like, like to, to get your perspective is number one, um, you're a veteran. Number two, you're, you've gone through some, you've paid a, a tremendous price in, uh, for our country in, uh, in, uh, giving up both your legs. And, uh, you do, you do a tremendous thing for, for wounded veterans with your, uh, your your new uh, endeavor that you've been in last few how long you've been with boot campaign oh, about five years now about five years so you're doing a tremendous thing for the wounded veterans which is uh which is near and dear to my heart and uh and the other the other thing is is you've got a younger perspective than i do so from a from a guy who's who's a conservative and and has a younger perspective which is kind of a is kind of a uh, conflict there because usually the younger people are are uh are not as as conservative as 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 I am, and probably you're not either. But you're way more conservative. But but you're in Texas, so that helps. <laughs> yeah, you know, I live near Austin, Texas, so even the liberals down here like guns and things of that nature. So it's a pretty good place. And uh, you guys, you guys aren't taking you ain't taking no crap from nobody. No, you know, it's good when you have a strong economy in your state. You can say no to the government on some of the funding, and in doing so, take control of your own destiny, which. I wish other states would follow suit. As do I, being from the land of fruits and nuts, uh, California. <laughs> so, so after the debate, Megyn Kelly hosted a, a focus group on the Republican with the of Republican voters. So, not just a focus group, but these are Republican voters that watch the watch the debate. And I'm going to play some comments made by a couple of uh, focus group members and get your reaction. These are military veterans who were concerned. Uh, that none of the presidential candidates are really focusing, uh, focusing on the needs of veterans. They're, they all talk something. Let me play the first one. Many of these candidates are making states in term, these statements in terms of how robust they want to make the military, but however, it costs substantial amounts of money to get this done. Mm-hmm. It costs roughly a million dollars to send a soldier overseas for a one-year deployment. Where are we getting all of this money from? Right. I understand the drawback. However, a lot of these entitlements that we have in government sen- spending need to be pulled back, but I haven't heard a candidate state anything specific that's going to make this happen. So I, you know, what is what? What's your comment on that? I know you're you're connected with not only wounded veterans but also active duty veterans. You're you're in, you're in, you're embedded with them all the time. How do the as a veteran? How do you how do you feel about what's going on? Well, you know, it seemed like his comment primarily was concerned with it. If we we're involved in future military conflict, how are we going to pay for it? And I think it's a I think it's a very important perspective. I think Rand Paul probably has to bear the cross of isolationist by bringing it up more often than others. But I think there's something that American people need to realize is in World War II, the entire population paid for that war with their paycheck and at work. Come to Vietnam, almost the entire country paid for that war through the draft and being told to go. You fast forward to 2001 through 2015, and the price at home may have been reflected in the ups and downs of the economy, but beyond that, it's been relatively a free war for most Americans. And what I mean by that is it took five, six, ten years 
before it even really affected the economy, much less other parts of your life, like people dying in combat. So in my job uh, in the military nonprofit space, raising awareness, and having worked on Capitol Hill at the House Veterans Affairs Committee, I can tell you the number one problem right now is that the American people are completely disconnected with the true cost of this war, both in economics and monetarily, as well as by the individuals who are losing life, limb, and happiness uh, in order to make it, in order to make this uh, conflict abroad successful. And I think that's where you start. You know, you had all these candidates, and the, they are. You know, generality is the biggest problem with these debates. It always is. You know, no one wants to be specific uh, because, you know, the moment they take office, everything changes anyway. However, um, with that being said, you know, Americans are sitting here at home. Veterans are sitting here with needs, and we, and we don't know where it's going to come from. Just like if we involve ourselves in future conflicts, what that is going to mean for our economy and industry. Exactly, and, and this ne- this next comment that was made by the next guy uh, refers more to the uh, to the the vets that have come home from war and are still paying a price. Let me play that one. No candidate has also addressed uh, thus far as talking about veterans, the guys who come home from war. What type of help? What type of aid? Mm-hmm. Mental health, mental counseling, all these different things. Go people go out there, put their lives on the line for this country, and then when they come home, the way they're treated, employment, things of those nature, I think people need to step up to the plate and talk more about veterans and helping them, especially all these right. mental issues mm-hmm. and jobs. So not just- and kind of kind of along what what you're saying. So. How do you, as as a wounded veteran, a guy who gave up his legs, and uh, and I know it's been uh, what has been six, seven years since you've been walking on your ro- on your robo legs. Yeah, yeah, I became an amputee on August six, two thousand ten, and started walking on prosthetic legs about a year after that. Um, you know, his comment there, it's really telling when you have two rounds of debate, and Rick Santorum is the first one to bring up our military, especially our veterans, in the first debate. And it takes Mike Huckabee to bring it up in the second debate. And you have these strong leaders. You know, you know, traditionally the establishment Republicans are the ones who are pro-military, you know, bolstering the size, being involved abroad. Um, but it takes Huckabee, more of a social issue candidate, to bring up veterans to begin with. Uh, Rubio uh, alluded to the military first. And granted, it's an economic debate, but, you know, the VA is an economic problem. Um, you know, are they under-resourced or are we wasting money? Um, and what really perturbs me is that the best answer that this strong field of Republicans can come up with to the VA is privatization. Uh, well, I'm sorry, but even as a conservative, I know that panders to industry rather than the veteran. And what it doesn't do is talk about the here and now. You know, one thing I enjoy about Jeb Bush is that he constantly comes back and says, well, on a pragmatic side, what can we actually get done? doesn't mean I always agree with that opinion, but I think that should be a bigger part of the conversation when you've got 16 people up there um, when it comes to the VA. The VA exists. The infrastructure exists. If you want to talk about monetary uh, debt and, and economic value, well, you can't just abandon that infrastructure. So what can you do? And um, there are an abundance of things within the VA that could make it better um, before you get to the point that you just turn your back on it and privatize it. And trust me, I'm going to use private health care a lot of ways with my prosthetics. It, there's a place for it, but when that becomes the talking point rather than the solution, well, now we're in politics again and we're not doing anything for our veterans. That's kind of, that's kind of the reason that I'm a, I lean towards Carly because she talks about actually getting something done and not just talking about it. And I don't know, I don't know, that, know, I don't know that anybody else is laser focused on that, maybe Ted Cruz. 
I think, you know, being a former CEO, I think Carly really tries to establish her needs with specificity. She really does come up with numbers and ideas. doesn't mean they're always substantiated. I mean, she's got by far the most specific plan uh, with our military, and she's talked about upping numbers. She's given the amount of, of, of uh, reestablishing the fleet, the amount of Marine battalions and Army regiments she would place in Europe. At the end of the day, that's posturing uh, mostly against Putin is what that turns into. But it's, at least it's a plan. When it comes to the VA, what are they saying? You know, they're saying privatize health care. They're saying uh, punish executives. Are, are they giving any specificity? Are they talking about a program that they would bolster? Are they talking about an employment opportunity? You know, one of the number one ways we could take care of our veterans is to train our military upon release to be a civilian in a successful um, job searcher again. I've never even heard that. And that's, that's kind of, if you're a veteran sitting here, especially working in a nonprofit space, that's a duh moment. That's, well, obviously, the number one way, it's just like homeless veterans. How do you prevent a homeless veteran? You keep him in his home to begin with. Same thing with military becoming veterans. How do you make them successful as a veteran? You train them while, while you still have them in the military. That's never a part of the conversation. Those are things that could come up and really be substantive. Yeah, that's uh, that is interesting perspective, and um, I know that one of the things that that Carly does talk about is zero based budgeting, which means take take everything at zero. Don't say, "Hey, we spent this much on the EPA. Are we going to leave it there, drop it down, or or go up?" Start everything at zero. Let's analyze every little every little dollar we spend and say, "Do we need this?" Is this really necessary? What is really necessary? And I and I like to say that um, our national defense, to me, is one of those. You know, it's like when I used to be in auto service, I used to tell people, "Hey, if your car goes, that's a necessity. That's a that's a uh, that's a luxury. If your car stops, that's a necessity. You have to be able to stop." And to me, the necessities are national defense, um, the 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 police. And uh, beyond that, probably probably everything else is everything else is optional as far as the government being involved in it. Well, absolutely. I mean, if you if you're like me, a conservative, because you've read, studied the Constitution, you understand that the defense is the one place the government should cut corners, and it's the one place that the government owes us a promise. You know, most of the Constitution is the government telling us what they won't do in our lives, but one of the few places that they talk about what they will do or what the government shall do is in defense. That's that is the key. I mean, you know, Marco Rubio probably had the best film about it. You don't have an economy if you don't have security, and you can't secure your economy and sovereignty. I mean, that's a huge statement, and, and I think that that really does liken back to constitutional uh, conservatism. And obviously, we have the strongest and most agile military force in the world, but it's just like your football team on Sunday. It's like the New York Yankees. The strength and ability is only effective when the mindset and morale is there with it, too. And the guys and gals serving right now are serving in a time of uncertainty. They're serving during a time of discontent. They're serving during a time when their commanders are making side-hand comments about budgeting and funding. They're literally vulturing themselves over who's the one getting kicked out and who gets promoted. And that type of atmosphere is not one to send men and women to war. And make no mistake about it, right now, today, we are at war in Syria and Iraq, and maybe through special forces troops, but this idea that, you know, we're going to prevent boots on the ground with boots on the ground that are special ops, that's just that's using rhetoric to solve political problems rather than operational problems. 
and it's going to end up getting men and women killed, and, and that's what really sucks about it. So from a morale standpoint, which, which candidate – which candidate is doing the doing the most, or who? How do how do the specific candidates make our military guys feel? Well, you know, here's the deal. I think people get focused on military questions, and so Color Free Arena is a good example. She responds by talking about what she'll specifically do within the military. However, for any service member sitting there at the base, it's foreign policy that's going to make or break what our military is going to do. I don't care what the political conversation is. The day someone attacks us, all that changes. You know, if you're going to up the military, downsize, go sideways, left, right, reduce funding, add funding. The day someone attacks us, all that changes. We saw that in 9-11, and I don't predict it would ever change in the future. So who's talking about foreign policy in a way that matters? The problem is not anybody, really. Um, you know, Trump gives these great sound bites talking about China or Russia, you know, and, and Trump thinks we can work with Russia because whatever reason, and, and Rubio talks about the cronyism and the mafia of Russia, but who's really talking about foreign policy? I think Carly probably highlights it best. Um, there's a soundbite that we hear from Jeb a lot that says at least his brother kept us safe. Now, if that alludes to his mindset as commander-in-chief, I want to know more about that. I want to know what he considers keeping us safe to be. I would really like to hear that, actually. Um, I, think that, I think that they're all just really leaving us waiting for more information. Uh, I agree, and I think keeping us safe means we never got attacked on on in our country while uh, George W. was was in. But I don't I don't necessarily think that just because George W. Uh, uh, kept us safe that that equates to Jeb Bush. I mean that's his brother. No, but you know that's I don't know I don't know who the who the person for this time is. We're in a whole different world than we were uh, in 2000 when uh, George W. was was uh, elected, and I thought George W. was a great president. Um, unfortunately, uh, Obama gave back his legacy in letting ISIS take Iraq back. <laughs> well, it, here's the deal. I just went on Fox News yesterday and talked about what airport security means and how it deters and prevents IEDs or bombs from going on board a plane or and things of that nature. The fact is that we live in a free country, and as long as we're free, we're susceptible and we're vulnerable. So it's a mindset and the belief. Just like that paper dollar bill in your wallet means nothing if you don't believe in it, meaning something collectively. It's the same thing with our military, our defense, and our sovereignty. We have to believe in it, and we have to support it. And we can't have political conversations where we talk about not wanting to go to war when that is 100% our enemy's choice. Our enemy decides when we go to war because as a free country, we don't ever want to go to war. That's never our goal. We're not out conquering other civilizations. We're not a tribute city taking more places in the world. We literally defend democracy and freedom. That's what we do. And we defend our interests because our interests represent democracy and freedom in a capitalist enterprise. And so our enemies dictate when we go to war, unfortunately. And to sit there and, and feel like you have a choice like Obama likes to preach, that's not going to get it done because that creates a false perception that going to war, even after 9-11, was nothing but a choice rather than a reaction and a necessary one. And that's going to be the telling part of this deal with ISIS and other threats around the globe. Man, I hope they, I hope they keep, you, keep you on because you, the way you put it is so, is so different than any, anybody else on, on television is talking about. Um, about, hey, you know, you can, you can say all these plans that we're not going to put boots on the ground, we're not going to go to war, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that. 
but it's really not your choice. You know, I, somebody used to say after when we went, uh, when we responded to uh, to nine eleven, is how many times do you let let the let your enemy punch you in the face before finally you, you yeah. can turn your you can turn the other cheek so so long before hey you're gonna throw a fist back. Absolutely, you turn your you turn to the other cheek enough times, you're just getting getting hit on both sides, and and it's just like the playground, right? You know, you want to walk away from a fight, but someone's straddling on top of you, then you have nowhere to go but to fight your way back up. Um, you know, the Bush Doctrine, preliminary strike, the idea of anticipating the enemy's movement and crushing them before they have the opportunity, that's a pretty smart way of doing things, but it's not always an option, and it's not always what we're able to do. What we have to do is posture ourselves, prepare ourselves, and look for those threats, and that does fall into Bush Doctrine, of the idea of preliminary strike, finding those threats and alleviating them. And we absolutely can work with countries abroad to do that, but we have to be active, not passive in doing so. So if we're going to work through other Arab countries or other Middle Eastern countries, to find and destroy our enemy, then we have to first say we're willing to do what's necessary to destroy our enemy. So there's premises here. And unfortunately, the, the, the way that the current administration is handling it is much more passive. It's much less focused on destroying the enemy as it is political posturing and, and um, you know, I don't know, apologetic in, in nature. And it, and it really comes back to domestic politics on something that is absolutely an international issue. Yep, that's uh, that is that is clarity. Hey, uh, we're we're almost running out of time, but before I get you off, is there any candidate now that you, as a military, as a military person, in part and involved with the active duty as well as the as the uh, as the, uh, the the retired veterans, is there anybody that absolutely makes the veterans uncomfortable? Well, I mean, I think the idea of Rand Paul being more isolationist is uncomfortable because. If you're serving in the military, you want to know that the person in the Oval Office is willing to sign on that dotted line to give you what you need to go to war and not question it every chance he or she gets. So I think that that is, that is troublesome. And then lastly, you know, I hate to say it, but the fact that Donald Trump is championing issues today that weren't important to him or the opposite two, three, four years ago, anyone who follows politics is going to be worried by that. If if you can flip on them towards my issues, then you can flip on them away from me when, when it benefits you. And so that's a worry. And I'm not saying that he's not genuine in what he says or does, but it's something to be, uh, you know, it's an obvious concern for anyone who follows politics. You know, it's very interesting that Ted Cruz has taken a stronger pivot away from the assimilation with uh, Rand Paul. And um, and I want to hear more from him. He, he spoke up. He talked about a stronger military. He talked about a similar soundbite to Rubio, and, and he's been a guy that, that when he says something, he backs it up through filibustering and other actions. So I'd, I'd like to see more out of him to understand better what his thoughts are. And outside of that, uh, you know, the, all, the pres- all the presidential candidates have a very similar problem, and that's not detailing in specifics what it is that they call keeping us safe or I think, taking it to the enemy. I think the fact that we have so many candidates right now, they don't have really have time until unless you That's see true. him see him live to to give that give that specifics Absolutely. those specificities which they will as the <laughs> as we get rid of some of the as we narrow narrow the field down so uh, so uh, so Joey this was this was great great uh, insight into another side of the uh, of the thought process on the presidential campaign that that a lot of people don't hear I'd like to have you have you back a little bit more often now that we're uh, getting closer to the primaries if you if you can make the time for it. 
Absolutely. I truly enjoyed the opportunity and uh, really appreciate what you're doing with the show. And I hope that uh, people are tuning in and, and hearing some perspective. And of course, we'll uh, we'll uh, reciprocate with uh, with our support of of everything you do in your uh, in your other in your other venture as we get to the uh, 2016 and we get our uh, our pecs and our biceps and triceps in uh, in shape for our next Absolutely. big fundraiser in May. <laughs> Push-ups for charity. Check us out at pushupsforcharity.com and bootcampaign.org. You got it, Joey. Hey, thanks for being on. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Okay, I'm just about out of time for uh, for part one of the main event. But coming up on part two, we have Mr. Scott McAfee in here to uh, for for his comments and uh, and uh, the other side of perspective of mine on this week's uh, uh, Republican debate. Scott, welcome back. Thanks, Ed. I can't wait. Okay, so uh, don't go away. So uh, for those of you that don't know Scott, Scott is the proprietor of Don's Bikes. He's a, a regular guest on here with me. So we have a. Uh, you still get to hear two right wing wackos, but. He just has a little, little, a uh, little different perspective than mine, and uh, he's a lot skinnier. Hey, you got a, we got about a half a minute. You said something you wanted to say? Yeah, I do. I want to apologize publicly to Hillary Clinton. The last time I was on your show, actually about a month ago, I called her uh, Beezlebub. Uh, I got home. My wife, uh, who's a devout Catholic, by the way, corrected me. She said, "Babe, it's pronounced Beelzebub." So I want to apologize to Hillary Clinton. And by the way, the Catholics—they know all about this kind of stuff. You know, if you need a, an exorcism, you don't go to a Jewish rabbi. You go to a Catholic. Priest, and uh, so I want to correct the record. It is Beelzebub, not Beezlebub. Okay, we'll be right back with part two. Don't go away. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman, president of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lenders. It's all but certain now that we are about to see interest rates begin to rise after several years of being spoiled with historically low interest rates. But don't panic. It's not the end of the world. What it does mean is that if you've been thinking about the purchase of a new home, the purchase of a vacation home or investment property, or if you don't want to buy but you need to refinance the home, you have to lower the rate, remove the mortgage insurance, or to pull out cash to pay higher interest, higher payment, credit cards, auto loans, or student loan debt. Or if you're a senior and have been considering looking into that reverse mortgage thing that everyone seems to be talking about lately, then call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. I'll run the numbers for you and let you know what all your options are, the pros and cons of each one, and help you steer towards a decision that makes the most sense for you and your family. Once again, the number is 855-640-2020, or get me on the web at wccloans.com. And listen to my show, The Main Event, Saturdays at 9.30 a.m. and 9 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at 4 o'clock, right here on AM590, The Answer. AM590, The Answer. And welcome back to part two of The Main Event. My name is Ed Hoffman, President Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. If you're interested in, uh, you're not going to hear very much talk about financing or mortgages or real estate. But that's what I do. So if you hear something that sounds like common sense and you need uh, help with uh, refinancing, purchasing, uh, or a reverse mortgage, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. So in the studio to help me uh, discuss uh, our opinions of what happened this week on uh, on uh, Fox Business Network with the fourth Republican debate, Scott McAfee, proprietor of Don's Bikes. Scotty. Welcome back again. Ed, great to be back in the house. Been a whole week. It has. It seems just like yesterday. Though. Yes, it, it seems like it. Did we record it yesterday? No, we couldn't have because we were talking about different <laughs> debates. 
So, uh, so tell me, tell me, I thought this was the best debate out of any of them. Yep, and I agree. And I think the reason was, number one, there were fewer people. So that gave the people on stage more of an opportunity to actually talk. There was no nonsense in this debate, meaning you didn't have people making wisecracks about somebody else's face, which I know you find entertaining. It's kind of a waste of time, though. Uh, right. I thought the, the interviews did a great job as well. Yeah, I thought, uh, I thought it's, it's a whole different perspective when, you, when the moderators um, – have an interest in actually finding out what the what how which which one of these candidates is going to make the best president they're asking pertinent questions and not following up with hey i want to make you look stupid on like on uh, national tv yeah the, the point is at least they don't sound like they work for hillary clinton's campaign kind of obvious wasn't it yeah with uh with the was it cnbc the last one yes exactly or was it cnn the one who that, cares yeah. it's who all cares? cnnb who cares yeah i think uh i think you know they're all divisions of nbc which i'm kind of uh, Which is a, all divisions of the Democrat Party. I have a good friend who who's a uh, who's a major uh, anchor at NBC in LA, and I'm. We never talk politics for that reason. I don't know that I don't know that she's actually a uh, a Democrat, but I know she mm. I know she has lots. Of, she, one time I made a comment when I was at her house, and she goes, "Hey, don't be beating up on my Democrat friends." So I won't I, I won't bring her name up, but. A lot of you know that I'm uh, good friends and clients with uh, Colleen Williams and her and her husband. So, uh, so we won't say anything bad about her because <laughs> she works for that Democrat station. Nice. So, uh, so we're talking about the debate on Tuesday. Yeah. I want to make some observations about Marco Rubio. He and Ted Cruz are called uh, the winners of the last debate. We'll talk about Ted Cruz next week, and I think think even Marco Rubio has some has some issues with constitutional expert Doug Gibbs. Um, but right now, I want to talk about Rubio. Um, because what I noticed was it seems like every time he's asked a question, and this is one of the reasons that everybody thinks he's so uh, so smooth and, and a, a great speaker, um, is that every one of his comments seems to be part of his candidacy announcement speech or one of his campaign speeches. And that's why he's so good at it, because he recites them, you know, 10 times a week. Um, so here, here's his... Uh, Here's here here's the in this week's debate he's talking about what he loves to talk about most his parents and how they achieved the American dream. Well, my father was a bartender, my mother was a maid. They worked for a living, but they were successful people because despite the fact that they weren't well educated and had those jobs, they made enough money to buy a home in a safe and stable neighborhood, retire with dignity, leave all four of their children better off than themselves. We call that the American dream, but in fact it's a universal dream of a better life. And then, uh, of course, in July, he made uh, one of his speeches in July he made. Eventually, my father settled down as a job working as a bartender in hotels. My mother ended up working a number of jobs. She was uh, worked at a factory building chairs. She was a stock clerk at Kmart. She was a maid for many years at a hotel. The point is that despite the fact they had limited education, no political connections, and they worked in service sector jobs, my parents achieved what we now call the American dream. And, of course, in April, when he first announced his, uh, his candidacy, um, he said this. Here in America, my father became a bartender. My mother, a cashier, a maid, a Kmart star clerk. They never made it big, but they were successful. Two immigrants with little money or education found stable jobs, owned a home, retired with security, and gave all four of their children a life better than their own. My parents achieved what it came to be known as the American dream. Yeah, I think we've heard that story uh, time or, or 19, uh, and that's just the time that we've been paying attention. So we're four, four debates in. Marco Rubio still giving the same personal antidote about his parents. 
and went as he did when he announced for president. Um, I think it gets old, and the more people hear him talk, yeah, he's smooth. But you know, if you practice the same, the same, uh, the same four little antidotes over and 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 over, and over you're going to get good at saying it. Your comments? Um, if you're looking for somebody to criticize Marco Rubu, you got the wrong guy in the air. I like him. I like him a lot. I like his style. I like his content. Even if he does say the same things over and over again, hopefully that's a me- it's like hope and change. You say it over and over again, maybe it resonates. And uh, what can I tell you? I like him. Okay, well, Sorry. I like him too, but I don't like him for this time. Okay. I think uh, I think I'll and I'll give you some 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 thoughts on this, and you can chime in because I right. know I know when I get to the next part, you're going to say. You're right. Okay, so on his finances. I don't think it's any of our business about what's going on with his credit cards like Donald Trump tries to tries to uh uh tries to insult. His credit cards are a disaster. How do you know? How do you know? You know, he talks about how he uh just paid off his student loans with some book uh, advance he, advance he got on a on a book deal. And I'll tell you as a guy who's who's been to the top of the mountain credit-wise and to the to the the deepest valley, the bottom of the deepest valley, credit-wise, and has come back. After you've gone through that, you have a better maturity about how you handle your finances. And these are the these are the uh, the conversations I have with my adult kids now is about managing money and being smart with their money. And I think if he just cleared up his stuff, he hasn't been he hasn't been financially stable long enough. To really have have some of the maturity, chime in. My comment on that is that the fact he's got some credit card debt makes him very much more relatable to the average Joe. In addition to that, I remember when it was the L.A. Times or the New York Times. I don't remember which because it doesn't really matter. They ran a full page front page ad about his traffic tickets, like that he'd gotten a dozen traffic tickets in its life. Uh, look, I get more than that every year. Well, okay, maybe it's not twelve, maybe it's eleven. I get every. Yeah, but year. you're on your bicycle getting speeding tickets. I blow through the stops all the time. It's true. Sorry. Oh, I didn't say that, did I? Um, but to me, that makes him more human, more relatable than somebody like Donald Trump. I think it has the opposite effect. It actually helps Marco Rubio to talk about the fact he's had some debt. He's had some student loan debt. Um, and he's well, what's, he's financially set now, right? Uh, I don't know. Well, I assume he is. I don't know if he's still got okay, credit so, card debt at this point. It's okay, a problem. But I, but. but I think the uh, having, having yourself debt-free and stable with some money in the bank um, is, a learned, is a learned art to be able to manage your finances. And if he just got out of that, I think he's going to make a great president eight years from now. And let me tell you one, one more reason. There's something about raising kids. Okay. So I have a guy at my office that we have, we have constantly have differences of opinion on how we, how we treat people at a, in our company. And the difference is, is I'm 54. My youngest child is going to be 30 in April. My old, my, my oldest that I, that, um, that I raised was, is going to be 31 in two weeks. Um, this other guy in the office, he's 57 and his youngest, his oldest child is about 11 or 12, which as I understand it, Rubio's oldest child is, he's got four kids and I think they range from six to 12. There's something, there's something of wisdom that comes from raising kids through, uh, being babies and toddlers and, and little kids and into adolescence and watching their face get all, all contorted and out of, out of proportion to the rest of their body, watching them go through, through puberty and adolescence and getting all Twitter pated with the opposite sex and going through high school and figuring out what they want to do after high school and becoming adults. There's a wisdom that comes from doing that. 
and it gives you a different perspective, not only on raising kids, but on life. And we're asking this guy to lead our country and be the wisdom, to have the wisdom to lead our country. And he hasn't experienced that. Are you want to comment on that? Disagree with that. Okay. All I would say is we need to win this election. We need to win. And if we win, he will surround himself with competent people that can make those decisions. It's kind of like having a lot of these candidates make comments on the military when none of them have ever served. Well, we assume that if they win and get in there, they'll surround themselves with competent people that can assist them in making those decisions. But ultimately, got to win. That's true that we got to win, but, yep. we've, but we've got a lot. We have a lot to choose from this time. We do. It's not a question. It's not a choice between Rubio and Hillary. Because right. The, the question. The, but it might come down to that. Should we go through the rest of these guys? Yes, we should. Let's but start see, with. Oh, well, next we had next we had uh, one other thing. That, yes. That uh, that uh, Rubio got challenged on by by uh, Rand Paul, who I think needs to quit anyway. Marco, Marco, how is it conservative? How is it conservative to add a trillion dollar expenditure for the federal government that you're not because paying for? How is it conservative? How is it conservative to add a trillion dollars in military expenditures? You cannot be a conservative if you're going to keep promoting new programs that you're not going to pay for. Well, I think uh, I think I, as a mature, financially stable person, would have had a had a good uh, good answer for that. Is is hey this is a this is a this is one of the mandatory things that we spend money on and protecting our country is is first over everything else and if we have to cut other places that's where we cut and we'll make that work um your comments uh you know hey look i mean we're talking about a trillion dollars here and a trillion dollars there if you're talking about like the military obviously that was the exchange that he had with with rand at one point i thought he won that exchange so so i don't know that i well you know what Winning an ex- winning an exchange with Rand Paul, especially on foreign policy, is is not really. I mean, that's like uh, Hillary talking about how how many frequent flyer miles she has. So uh, so let's talk about who lost the debate. Okay, um, Kasich, John Kasich, what a whiny little crybaby this guy. He just every time he talks, it just yeah, it just I like it's like like thing, you know it's all it's like listening to Obama or Hillary Clinton laugh. You know, I, I know for a while you've been saying I wouldn't support Kasich because he's a Democrat. And I remember just thinking to myself, you know, that's not really fair. But now I'm thinking, you know what? You were right. I tell you. <laughs> uh, when he talks about people need help, uh, we can't deport 11 million people. We need to bail out the banks and raise the minimum wage. It's like, oh, this yeah, sounds more like a Democrat Let's to me. play that little clip. But if people think that we are going to ship 11 million people who are law-abiding who are in this country and somehow pick them up at their house and ship them out of Mexico to Mexico. Think about the families. Think about the children. Think about the children. I think about the children. I like I like to think about these children and and shipping these guys out that made this uh, this deport uh, racism uh, uh, video uh, last aimed week. At, aimed at Donald Trump. Exactly. Hola, Donald Trump. Screaming, get out of my country. Republicans use offensive words. So here's a few of our own. You racist. We're Latino kids born in the USA. And we've got something to say. I'm Rosa. I'm Ricardo. My friends call me Rick. But you keep calling me anchor, baby? Wow. Racist. Yeah, you are an anchor, baby. And quite frankly, I'd be happy to... uh, 
to uh, vote for deporting that little that little uh, foul mouthed little punk and his illegal parents and his illegal grandparents. Ha- having little children between the ages of, I'm guessing like six to ten years old use profanity again and again. This is borderline child abuse, and it actually has just the opposite effect of what they wanted. It ticks people off, and it and it actually sets people against your agenda. And then you're uh, then you've got uh, um, them talking about they're talking about. Uh, we can't ship 11 million people. We've been talking on 11 million people since the year 2000. Ed, I think there's 11 million illegals in California alone. I know. There's, they, they, they've got about a million coming over. And if you read Ann Coulter's book, she brings up some pretty uh, pertinent uh, uh, information about not just illegal immigrants, but just immigrants. Yep. And uh, it's more closer to 30 to 40 million not 11 or 12, depending on which candidate that you uh, heard talking about it. Um, Bottom lines, I think Kasich's done. That was the end of his campaign. He came across as uh, mean and interrupting people. There was no humor there. Uh, His campaign's done. Uh, Between that and his comments on the banks and how we would bail out some people, but we'll decide who gets bailed out and who doesn't. Uh, By the way, isn't that what FDIC insurance is for? So if a bank goes under like B of A, people don't actually lose their money. Am I I correct on that? That, Well, people don't lose their money, but the government, but who pays for it is the the taxpayers. But one of the things that that I thought was idiotic about Mm. that comment was, you know, hey, you, you wouldn't bail out the banks. And I don't think any of the candidates had had the had the guts to say this. TARP, what they talk about bailing out the banks, TARP, the Troubled Asset uh, Recovery Program, uh, in 2008 was the only bailout I thought needed to happen. It was the only bailout because not had they not bailed out the banks, putting $800 billion in there, um, had they not, it would have caused mass panic and who knows what would have happened in this country. Bail out the banks just to get them stable until everything goes through the goes through the transition. Every dollar of of TARP funds has been repaid. Everything uh, everything about bail beyond that, because once we saw what was happening with the banks and the and as the as the fi- as the economy started to melt down, the banks, the insurance companies, the the uh, credit default swaps, and all the all the stuff that you see in the in the movie. Um, uh, Wall Street 2, Money Never Sleeps, as well as Too Big to Fail, as well as uh, a hundred hundred other movies. And I know there's a new one called The Big Short that's coming out in the theaters that I'm anxious to see. Um, is all you know the all the of all the all the bailouts? That's the only one that needed to happen. Beyond that, we could have said, okay, this is going on. Let's make some decisions on how we're going to deal with it, and let the and let the hey. The the government we we bailed out the banks where everything's staying stable and let the let the private companies uh, dog eat dog let the let the free market straighten it out. Okay, all right. Should we move on to Rand Paul? Um, his campaign's also over. Um, you know the problem with Rand Paul sometimes he throws out terms like for example quantitative easing. I have a master's degree and I've run a small business for thirty years. I have no idea what he's talking about. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Uh, I thought his closing statement was awful. And uh, the bottom line is the country just d- isn't ready and doesn't want a libertarian president. Well, quantitative easing, uh, easing refers to the uh, the uh, the Federal Reserve buying American uh, United States bonds and uh, to to fuel cash into the to infuse cash into the economy to keep everything going. But it just dilutes all of our money supply. All right. Um, 
Again, I think his campaign's going nowhere. Part of it, too, is he's kind of flat on the affect level. I mean, there's not a lot of personality there. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree. Okay. The problem is, it's just like his dad. He has kind of a cult following of... Yep. Of about 1%. Of, of kids. Of kids that don't... All they, know, all they know is that he doesn't want to go to war. And he wants to legalize pot. Uh, should we move on to Jeb Bush? Yes. Okay. Um, if you want to defeat ISIS in Syria, just drop Jeb Bush in there and he'll, he'll bore them to death. Um, every time he speaks, I lapse into a coma. Uh, I think the most, the most amazing thing about Jeb Bush's campaign is that he's still at 4%. Your thoughts, Ed? I think, uh, I agree with you. I liked Jeb Bush at first. Um, when he first, when I, first time I heard him speak, he's, he's, he's really a good speaker and he, he makes a lot of sense, but when you put him up against, and probably, probably Trump, Trump changed the, changed the whole conversation for a lot of things. And it just makes Jeb look stupid. Right. Especially on immigration. And my concern is not that Donald Trump won't be able to deport 11 million people. It's that a guy like Bush won't deport anybody. And that's not what the country wants at this point. The country's mood is not for an establishment guy like Jeb Bush. And you heard, you heard Joey Jones interview. Yes. I'll tell you a month ago, he was think he, in a conversation that we had on the phone was he liked Jeb Bush because he didn't, he didn't want to put any, anybody in, in the white house that was going to be so, so uh, divisive that it's going to just anger the other side the way Obama has angered us. Sure. Well, that makes sense. Um, let's get on to now the five relevant people that are still in this campaign, because <laughs> in my opinion, there only are five relevant people left, uh, starting with Carly Fiorina. Carly Fiorina. Your favorite, Ed. Carly Fiorina, I think, you know, we would say hey, we want to find another Reagan. We want to find another Ronald Reagan. Well, we don't have another Ronald Reagan necessarily yet, but... When Ronald Reagan was in office, he had a had a close ally in Margaret Thatcher, in the who's the Prime Minister of uh, of England, and I just think Carly is is the next Iron Lady. We have a few clips from her. Let's play. Let's play the first one. Well, first, Obamacare has to be repealed because it's failing. It's failing the very people it was intended to help, but also it is crony capitalism at its worst. Who helped write this bill? drug companies, insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, and every single one of those kinds of companies are bulking up to deal with big government. See, that's what happens. As government gets bigger and bigger, and it has been for 50 years under Republicans and Democrats alike, then businesses have to bulk up to deal with big government. So we have to repeal it. It's tens of thousands of pages long. No one can possibly understand it, except the big companies, the lawyers, the accountants, the lobbyists that they hire to protect their interests. Then we have to give back to states the responsibility to manage a high-risk pool. We need to try the one thing in health insurance we've never tried. Health insurance has always been a cozy little game between regulators and health insurance companies. We need to try the free market. The free market. Where people actually have to compete. And I know that you made a comment that, that Carly uses uses that comment a lot. I think it's because the free market is what the United States became great on. Well, yeah. And look, you can't find a bad Carly clip if, if you looked for one. That's true. But here's my question to you, Ed. Why isn't she higher in the polls? Um... I don't know. All right, I'll tell you. You want you want to know what I think? Um, I think that she I think doesn't smile enough. She doesn't smile enough. She, I've never heard her laugh once. She's a little flat again on the affect uh, end of things. Um, and I think there's a little concern about some of the business track records, unlike Steve Jobs, who, yes, experienced failures, but he came back to an unbelievable success. I don't think we can quite say that to an extent with Carly Fiorina. But I think honestly, how do you know? 
Oh, I just I don't I don't see it. Like she didn't go back to HP and her- she didn't go back to HP, but she went back she went back to running her own company, uh, doing international business, which is how she knows. Uh, all the international leaders. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But I will say this, to be honest, I think the concern is if you put her up against Hillary, yes, it would be interesting. Yes, I'd pay 100 bucks to watch it on pay-per-view, but will she beat Hillary Clinton? I, th- I don't know. I think she'd tear her up. Okay. Because the one thing that Hillary Hillary seems to uh, to lean on is, I'll be the first female president. And there's a lot of, and if you watch those interviews with college kids, yeah, just think it would be so awesome. We have a black president. Now we're going to have a female president. Okay, well, let's put one in that has a brain. Yeah, but they mean that's a Democrat female president, not a Republican one, Ed, when they say that. So. Uh, yeah, but the, the kids don't know the difference. Okay. <laughs> uh, Ted Cruz. Uh, I love Ted Cruz. I think he's still the best speaker. I thought he had a great line about... Um, uh, about if journalists were pulling across the border, how we would close it. And I would even take it a step further. If there were people wearing T-shirts that said, I can't wait to become a citizen and vote Republican, the border would be shut down tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I like the 10%. I like his tax plan, 10% for people over 36K. I think that would work. Uh, I like the fact that he wouldn't bail out the banks. Um, your co- your thoughts on Ted Cruz? Um, Ted Cruz is not a U.S. citizen. He's not a, Well, he's a U.S. citizen. He's not a natural-born citizen. Uh, I love Ted Cruz. I think he'd make a great president. But number one, I don't. I think it's gonna. I think people are gonna wake up and find out that he really isn't any more uh, eligible than than Obama was. And I don't think we should make that mistake twice. Okay. Um, I personally don't care if Ted Cruz was born on Mars. That's just my opinion. Okay. Well, if, if we have <laughs> again, if we have laws, we have laws. And okay. If that's if that's a rule, just because uh, because the country was was smoking too much crack. Eight years ago doesn't mean we have to continue to smoke it. All right, there you go. Uh, we already talked about Rubio. Uh, the one comment I thought that was cool is when he said welders make more than philosophers. I thought that was a great line. Uh, I thought so too. Yep. Um, do you want to go past Rubio on to Carson? Uh, Car- Carson, Carson, I thought didn't do too bad. I mean, he he's, right. he's obviously not a debater, um, but I thought his his comments were his comments were decent. Um, he smiled a lot. He's personable. Everybody likes him. It's really hard. It's really hard to find some reason not to like him. I think the personal attacks that um, Politico and uh, Polit a joke, Polit a joke, and uh, and and Trump. I think Trump basically shot himself right in the gut uh, this week in making taking all the all the personal attacks on. You know, it's 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 just bad. I think I think Trump is starting to uh construct his casket that could be true um i thought uh, carson laughed uh, his, t- his 10th grade joke like they're bringing up stuff i did in the 10th grade he he cracked himself up that's the first time i've ever heard him really laugh that was good i also like the fact that he's changed his tune about the minimum wage saying he would not raise the minimum wage as a small business owner who has people who are minimum wage employees thank you um, I like his tax plan. So simple, so easy. Taking the complex and making it simple. Ten percent for everyone. If you make ten billion, you pay a billion. If you make ten dollars, you pay a dollar. I thought that was fantastic. But he since said it would probably be closer to fifteen. What? Okay, yeah, I didn't uh, even good with that then. You know, as long as it's flat and everybody pays in something, as is, that makes uh, sense. Carly says three pages. Okay, three. That's great too. Make it simple, stupid. I think that's the point. Um, we talked about Trump. You think that he's Trump? Trump? Trump doesn't think about what he says before he says it. His his deportation squads. What the hell are you thinking? Put up the wall and start throwing the bad people out. And let's do e-verify. And when they can't get jobs, they'll self-deport. Oh wait, that's a Romney line. I'm sorry, but you know 
Romney was Romney was the was the the last Boy Scout we could have had in office, and we blew it. There hey, you go. Hey, we're we out got of time. it in, Ed. We got everything got in. It. Scott, thanks for thanks for joining me with My the pleasure. with the other side of the right wing wacko opinion. Nice, the extreme end. And uh, <laughs> you know what, folks? Uh, just in case you don't know, if you're listening on Saturday tonight is the second Democrat uh, debate. Uh, if you're not at the movies or you know uh, doing something important like uh, trimming your toenails. Uh, make sure and watch that. We'll talk about that next week. Thanks for listening to the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman, and I'll be back again with you next week. Hey!